Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. I want to talk to you about the church's responsibility to the community. Every congregation exists in a community, and every congregation should have a certain responsibility. They should feel a certain responsibility to the community around them. We oftentimes delegate our responsibility over to the government. But the government is just not, it just does not do a good job. It is a bureaucracy. It does not do a good job of actually helping people in need. And it does not do a good job of helping people find what they really need to continue rather than teaching them how to fish. The government just, you know, slaps them with a fish. You know what I mean? They just, they don't really help them progress. They make them more reliant on the government. And we don't want that. That's not a good thing. I would much rather know how to fish and how to make my living and how to earn and go forward in the world as a successful person doing something than sitting back waiting for my government to hand me things so that I could continue to live. This is an area that I feel that the church has lost ground in. We've kind of given this over to the government, and I think that's a real mistake. Now, I'm not saying every church everywhere, but a lot of congregations, a lot of places have given up on this idea of having any responsibility to the community. As an example, let's have a quick view of Jesus' ministry. Now, Jesus' mission statement in Luke now, a lot of my scriptures are going to be either from the Amplified or from the ESV, something along those lines, okay? It's going to be from one of these translations. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, the Lord says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Messiah, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release, pardon, forgiveness to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, downtrodden, bruised, crushed by tragedy, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the favor of God abound greatly. So let's just look at these points here. Preach the good news to the poor. What is the good news? The good news is God loves you. Jesus came here and paid the price for all your sin, for all your wrongdoing. And that is the good news, that you can have that relationship with God and you can begin to have a good life here now. Is it going to be perfect? No, this world is not perfect and, and it's not going to be perfect. This world has been, unfortunately, has been corrupted. But God does not want you to live in misery and suffering, even in this life. He wants you to have a good life here. Part of having a good life is learning and learning how to deal with certain troubles and trials. And, and that's a part of our education and learning to be more like the Lord. But this is the good news that we're supposed to preach that the poor, poor in spirit, poor in other ways, every way they're poor, they're not you know, not having the abundant good life that God wants for them, then we have to start them on the right path. You have to change spiritually and become different inside in your heart 
to begin changing everything else. Now, some will focus more on the outside and would want you to start with the outside and the exterior. But yeah, I believe you have to start on the inside. And it's not that you can't do both at the same time either. But your focus really needs to be in the heart and believing in the Lord and believing that Christ came and gave himself for us. So we're proclaiming, we're to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Now, you can look at this in a very spiritual sense, because when you don't believe in Jesus, you are a prisoner. You're a prisoner to your sin. You're a prisoner to the whims of the world and whatever the prevailing thoughts are. If you don't believe in God and you don't believe in the Lord and you don't have the Bible and you're not reading and studying and understanding the Lord, then you are at the whim of every like we say, every imagination that comes into the world and all the things, all the lies that are promoted and believed in by the world. So we, we need to proclaim freedom from those types of things, from sin and those lies, a freedom of the mind and of the heart, and it's a much more peaceful state of mind. And with that freedom comes peace and rest and yeah, we still have to work and we still have to do things, but I mean in a spiritual, in a calming and peaceful state where we're not always in strife and always under pressure, we can have that peace and that rest in the Lord. Then the next point is recovery of sight to the blind. Okay, now here we're going to think of this as the spiritually blind. Okay, we do not have miraculous healing powers today. but there are people who are spiritually blind. You know, um, Jesus referred back to a, uh, a verse, their, their eyes were blind, you know, were dim, their ears were dull, uh, and they could not hear or see because if they heard or saw the good news, the real good news that the Lord was bringing, then they would turn and he would heal them and they would be free. And then they would see. And they would see the blessings that we have here, that, that God has given us even here and the blessings that he promises ahead. Then, another point to Jesus' ministry here, his mission statement, is set the oppressed free. How can we set the oppressed free? Again, we can give them the good news. We can set them free from their, their old actions, their old self. It, it ties back to their sin, but it ties also back to bad habits and bad things that we do. We fall into these pits of or, or ruts of actions where we're doing the same things over and over, expecting different results, but we're just doing the same wrong, incorrect things over and over and over. And we need to learn a different way. We need to retrain ourselves and change our thinking and just bring ourselves into line with God's Word following him down that right, that good path, because he, he's trying to lead us on a way where the things we do are good for us. They're not just good for people around us, they're good for us. And then, yes, it also is good for others. You'll be a blessing to yourself, you'll be a blessing to others, and that will, that will set you free. If you want to break free of the chains of of bad habits, of bad actions, that you keep falling into these same bad things, you retrain your mind, you retrain your heart, you think 
differently. You act differently. And the only way I know to do that is to change your mind and your heart with the Word of God. And now, again, this is, this is Jesus' ministry here. He's telling us that this is His ministry. Well, that's our ministry. That's our mission as well. Now, if we look at how Jesus accomplished these things, Jesus was known for His miracles. That's how He drew people to Him. His miracles, He displayed the power of God, making it obvious that He was from God. You look at Mark chapter 1, verse 45. Jesus cleansed a leper and told him not to tell anyone. But then in this verse, he, but he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news of his healing to such an extent that Jesus could no longer openly enter a city where he was known, but stayed out in the unpopulated places. Yet people were still coming to him from everywhere. Jesus was known for this miraculous healing power. They knew that only came from God. Now let's look at Mark chapter 6, verse 56. And wherever he came in, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Now that, it's how Jesus was known. He was known for these miracles, for helping people. There's also some inference that, that his ministry, that through his ministry, they gave uh, money to the poor because Judas was leaving there at the uh, Last Supper. When Judas was leaving, some of the guys thought he was taking and giving money to the poor. And from that, we can infer that uh, in Jesus in his ministry was not beyond giving money to the poor. Whether you believe and accept that or not, nonetheless, Jesus was known for his miracles, for helping people, for having himself available for people to touch him and be made well. Now, the message, the message that Jesus brought, he taught them. He taught them much differently than the Jewish leaders. If we look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 29, For he was teaching them as one who had authority to teach entirely of his own volition and not as their scribes who relied on others to confirm their authority. Jesus taught love, forgiveness, mercy, and faith instead of rituals and rigid laws. Now you can look back, even in the Old Testament, God started early on trying to teach the children of Israel to have these qualities of love and forgiveness and mercy and faith and patience. And even, even as far back as Samuel and Saul, Samuel's uh, telling Saul at one point, he's saying, look, it's better to listen and obey God than to follow the, uh, the rules or the laws of these sacrifices. And that's something that you'll see in 1 Samuel, and I forget exactly where, but we've studied that recently in our uh, Bible study at church. And God is early on trying to get the children of Israel to go beyond the letter of the law and instead to understand the weightier things, which again is what Jesus is focusing on, okay? So Jesus is continuing that. He focuses on individual responsibility for having a relationship with God 
and for treating others with love and mercy. Now, that's where Jesus put the focus on, okay? Now, and he didn't say there was any difference whether it's me by myself or whether it's 10 of us in a group or a thousand of us in a group or a million of us in a group. We should always be responding with this love, forgiveness, mercy, and faith. And it is our responsibility to do that and to have that relationship with God and to treat others appropriately with love and mercy. When we really understand the message of the Lord, we will also understand that these people that don't believe, the people that don't believe, that have been deceived by Satan, that that's what they are. They are victims. We should have a heart for them and feel sorry for them and try to help them as best we can, knowing that we can't just force them to do what we know is best for them. And so it can be difficult, but when we understand that, we will look at people in the world a lot differently. We will not look at them with so much, you know, sometimes as Christians, we get caught up in looking at people and we're, we see they're doing wrong things and we, we kind of judge them hatefully and we get mad at them and we say, why? And especially like sometimes it's our leaders, why are they doing this? Why are they being this way? Well, it's because they are deceived and it's because they do not understand the will of God. And the will of God is love and forgiveness and mercy and faith. He has that throughout the Bible. And that's the whole idea of Jesus coming here because God wanted to give us love and forgiveness and mercy and faith. And our faith, we can have faith and know that God, we know that God is all-powerful. We know that God can do everything. Our biggest question, what makes us doubt, our biggest thing is Willingness. Is God willing to help me? Does he want to help me? Me, I'm, I'm a terrible, awful person. Does he really want to help me? That's our doubt. That's, that's where it's hard to believe that God is willing to help us. But I will tell you and remind you that God is our father. He cares about us. He loves us. Look at the uh, prodigal son. He loves us. He cares about us. He wants to accept us back and restore us to his family, and have us with him. So, let's look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is Jesus, again, teaching that law of love. There is a third law of love that he gives to the disciples and thus to us who follow him that we love one another. But all of this is about love and mercy, caring for one another, caring for God, appreciating God, making God the center of our lives, and then caring and loving others. One another within the family of God, but also loving others outside the family of God. People need to be able to be on the outside looking into our congregation and seeing that we love and care for one another and that we are important to each other. And then they also need to see that we're loving and accepting 
of them. We have to accept them in the state they're in. They're going to come to us just like when we come to God. We come to Him in the state we're in. We're a sinful mess. We're doing wrong. We're in bad shape. We need His help. And that's how we need to accept people coming in from the outside. They need help. They're in a sinful mess just like just like us. And the church is where you come for that healing from sin. Healing, recovery, and freedom from sin. To break those chains, you come to the Lord. I said you come to the church. Well, you do. You come to the congregation to learn. I had my initial interactions with the Lord and the Bible in the church. Of course I did. Of course I did. And maybe not everyone has that specific experience, but that was my experience. But my family was not a very faithful family, and so my interest I had to develop on my own. That's just the way it is. That's the way it was. Over time, I've become more and more interested in the Lord over time, and He's worked on me over the years, and I've been stubborn. But uh, I'm, I think I'm finally in a much better place following, following the Lord. So then, if we look beyond Jesus' ministry and we look at the apostles' ministry, or apostles' ministries, they followed Jesus' example of miracles and teaching. They performed miracles, proving they were from God again. They brought people to God and, you know, thus converted. You know, the Lord adds to the church, but they introduce people to God, to the Lord, to Jesus. And thus they had people converted, right? The apostles established Christian churches or congregations in different communities. We look at Acts chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. More and more believers in the Lord, crowds of men and women, were constantly being added to their number. To such an extent that they even carried their sick out into the streets and put them on cots and sleeping pads, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on one of them, with healing power. In other words, they would be healed just from his shadow going over them. Now, and then the apostles' ministries, they also, if you remember reading all the epistles, and if you haven't read those, then read those, um, you'll see that there are epistles, letters, sent to the different congregations with further corrective teaching to help keep them in line with what the Lord has already taught. If you look through the Gospels and read the Gospels, you'll see what the Lord has taught and the examples that He has given. And then you'll see in the epistles, these do not contradict what the Lord has taught. Instead, they are to try to further explain and to correct things that maybe people have gotten wrong. And they also traveled around and revisited these congregations as much as they could to help establish them further in the faith. you got to remember back then, they did not have the Bible the way we have the Bible. I can read for myself all the Lord's teachings. If I'm vague or unclear on something, I can go back and read the epistles and see another explanation, sometimes something that will be clearer to me. Not that the Lord was not clear. I, I really feel like the Lord is clear on everything. You could read the Gospels and learn everything you need to know. But the epistles do have a lot of good clarification and further uh, teaching that it all falls within the Lord's teaching, but it's just 
like I say, it's just more clarification on the same things. You'll not, not find anywhere where Paul is telling you to do something that the Lord told you not to do, or he's telling you not to do something that the Lord told you to do. That doesn't happen. Instead, he reminds us to do a lot of the same things. He says, you know, to be good to everyone, especially to other children of God, but he does tell us to do good to everyone, but especially to those within the congregation, because we should be taking care of our members in our congregations, right? Now, let's look at our ministry as one of the established churches and congregations, right? So let's look at that. Our goal in our community should be the same as Jesus' goal was in his community. Preach the good news to the poor, right? And now this is the poor in spirit and the poor. If you understand the difference, there are people who are, who are poor and they need the good news just as much as the rich. But focusing more on the spiritual aspect, the poor in spirit, we want to make sure that we reach those who are poor in spirit. We want to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the prisoners of sin, of their old lives, of those bad lives, of all those bad habits of all the wrong things that, that we as people, we tend to fall into doing. And we can entrap ourselves in, in drug use and all kinds of bad activities and things that hurt us. And then recovery of sight to the blind, to the spiritually blind. We don't want to leave people out there not having a chance to know God and know the Lord and know that they can be free and they can have a wonderful eternal life with the Lord. Not to mention, they can be, they can have a better life here and they can be doing something meaningful and helpful to others here. Set the oppressed free. Those who are weighed down by the world, those who have all kinds of problems and issues in the world. We have to make effort, but we can help these people. And that those are our goals in our community. Now, I'm just talking about in our immediate community. If every congregation, if every church focused on these goals in their community and really tried to help others, the government could quit all their silly welfare and all that stuff they're not good at anyway. And they could just give that money back to us and we would have more money to help the poor and the other people in our areas. And that would work as much as people don't like to think about that that would work. As long as we, the church, the congregations, the local congregations, as long as we are focused on helping and doing these things in our communities. I'm not saying we can't have an outreach program and support ministries uh, going overseas and things like that. There's nothing wrong with any of that. And I'm not putting any of that down. But I'm trying to bring our focus in. Our focus really needs to start at the local level in our communities. Now, issues we have as Christian congregations, okay? One issue we have that's very obvious, we do not have the miraculous power of Jesus. Jesus drew people to him because he had that miraculous power. We don't have that. We are not known as Christians. A lot of times, we are not known for our good deeds, unfortunately. Unfortunately, we're way more well-known for being hypocrites. Another issue we have is we wait for the community to come to us. We 
We're closed up in our church when we gather together. We go about our daily lives. And we wait for people to come to us, the community to come to us. We don't have a good outreach. And I mean a good, godly outreach. We sit back and we wait for the community to come to us too much. And then the perception, the perception from the public, from society, is that we are hypocritical, we are judgmental, and we judge self-righteously and we condemn others. Now this is primarily a wrong perception, but that is the perception. I have spoken to some in my own family that that's the way they believe. So they have no interest in Christianity because they do not see the good part of it in people. Now, some of that is their own blindness, which we spoke about. But some of that is that perception. And we have to fight that perception. And we don't fight that perception by railing and and being hateful and jumping up and being the loudest people in the room. No, the solutions, which we're going to go into now, the, the solutions to some of these issues is to show the love, the mercy of God in the ways that we are able to. You know, we need to organize something for the needy in our area. You know, maybe we can partner with other congregations that are already working on these things or charities. And I'm talking about in an individual way, but also as a congregational way. There is no distinction made. There's no verse that makes a distinction about how we are to be and do under the Lord as we follow His laws, the law of love. We can visit nursing homes. We can you know, sing to the sick, which we have done some of that in the past before COVID. I know COVID has been a big problem. Um, we can actively look to bless those suffering from tragedy. Maybe, you know, maybe they've had a home fire or something like that. Um, don't forget those in our own congregations that need aid or that need visits. We can't forget those people. We look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. But whoever has the world's goods, adequate resources, and sees his brother in need but has no compassion for him, how does the love of God live in him? And this is one of those things where I say we have a personal responsibility. We have to evaluate ourselves. And that's what this comes back to. We have to evaluate ourselves. Now, we look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11. God is telling even the Israelites back then as a nation, For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, and to your poor in your land. Now, this is God telling them as a nation. He's not telling one person as an individual. This applies to all of us, either individually or as a group. It is always the same. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. He who is gracious and lends a hand to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay him for his good deed. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31. He who oppresses the poor taunts and insults his maker. But he who is kind and merciful and gracious to the needy honors him. Matthew chapter 5, verses 46 through 48. And this is the Lord speaking. For if you love those who love you, 
What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, we must act in God's perfect love and we must be kind and generous and good to all and not just single out those that we consider to be a part of our family or a part of God's family. We must not make those distinctions. That's how Jesus drew people to him. He didn't make a distinction of saying, well, I'm going to the the holiest, best people, and those are the ones I'm going to heal. No. Who did he say he was here for? He was here for the sinners. He was here for everyone all the others, because we're all sinners, but but he was here for everyone, not for the people who were righteous. So we have to look at it from that, from his perspective. We're here as a congregation representing the Lord. We're here for everyone to help everyone, even if they're not a Christian. So we have a lot of roadblocks in our lives and a lot of hurdles we have to get through to be able to make these things happen. And I understand this. Believe me, I, I spend a lot of time. Uh, time is is a roadblock. It's a hurdle in our in our uh, efforts to follow the Lord and and have a ministry and do like He would have us do. You know, it's time. We have we have jobs. We have to work to support ourselves, to support our family. You know, and that takes time. So we don't have as much time as maybe some others may have. Uh, there's health involved in doing certain things that, you know, we have to have a certain amount of health in ourselves. And, and then there's a certain amount of effort and not everyone can lift and tote and do as much physical work as others. And then there's funds and there's money and we do have limited income. There is a certain amount that we can do. However, that is part of why we have charities the way we do and the way we do things to try to help look for you know, if you're just looking at an individual basis on your own, look, look for a Christian charity that is really doing good work that is helping people in the community. They are out there. They do exist. And then, of course, roadblocks and hurdles. Another roadblock and hurdle that we have, besides time and, and our health and effort and funds and money, is resistance. There is resistance to change and to look at this and think differently because of some of the things that have been taught over the years. There's some there's misinformation, even in the church. There's church traditions and thoughts that are just wrong. They're not taught by the Lord. They're not taught in the epistles. But they're things that people have just taken and made a rule or a law of them. Jesus didn't give us any of those types of laws because he didn't want us to focus on law keeping. He gave us the law of love and he gave us that, you know, it's a wide open, it's a very free law to help and aid others. We have to do that in truth, according to God's will, which means we're not going to do something that's dishonest or or uh, dishonorable. It's going to be with integrity and honesty. But there's still going to be resistance, people. There are people in it within the churches, within the congregations that resist uh, these ideas of helping in the community. But even so, even if your congregation is super resistant, you know, we can still do these things individually as individuals. And there's nothing wrong with that either. 
But the reason churches are dying is that they are not reaching out and doing enough in their community, so they do not draw people to them. That's one example you can definitely take from the Lord himself. He got out into these communities. He worked his miracles and drew people to him. If he had just sat in a house and waited for everybody to come to him, would he even have had his first miracle? Would anybody have even known? Probably not. But no, he went out into the communities that he was in, and he healed and drew people to him. Now, again, we don't have that miraculous power, but we have to do something. And we do have things, normal, mundane things that we can work with. We, we have some time. We can make some effort. And yes, we have some money. And we can make things happen, especially together, collectively. We have to realize that it's, it's good to sit back and say, well, you know, be warm and be filled. But if we're not actually taking steps and helping people to get the food they need, to get the things they need, how can they turn around and focus on the Lord and learn about God? If they're hungry, they're trying to focus on their next meal. They need to stay alive. They need to feed their family. They have starving children. They have, they're, maybe they're homeless. They're out in the street. And it's winter, and they need clothing, they need shelter. These things drive people into that mode of just survival. They're just surviving. But when a Christian or a congregation, a Christian group, reaches out to them and helps them and lifts them up, they remember that, they appreciate that. And it may not be perfect, it may not get all of them to become Christian, but you never know. That's going to have an impact on them, and that's something that they're going to remember and they're going to tell people about. And that's going to draw people to the Lord, to the church, to the Lord. So I think that is as short as I can make this, and that is our responsibility as the Lord's church to the community. As followers of Jesus, this is the best summary I can do. I believe that you could take this even further in depth and talk about a lot of different things. But I think as a general overview, this pretty much describes what we need to be doing in our congregations. For one, it, it will cause our congregations to grow and to live and to thrive. But also to help people and to bring more people into the body of Christ, which is our real goal, which will cause the church to grow. And that's what we want. So I want to thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. May God bless you and keep you safe. And remember, God loves you.